Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first lesson is from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had any respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps coming bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him both day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Second reading is taken from the prophet Jeremiah. We are on chapter 29, verses 11 through 14. As Debbie said, some of my favorite verses as well. Listen again with fresh ears. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For surely you know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was the best of times. It was the It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, and we were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. A tale of two cities, we know. 
or at least we know that phrase, that sentence, written and published in the 1800s, set against the backdrop of the French Revolution, Charles Dickens. Starts off, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, and talks about these complete opposites. That while life is wonderful and fantastic and full and full of hope and joy, life is difficult and a challenge and broken and dark. Into that, we come into Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an exile prophet. If you remember, this is the second exile that the Israelites have endured. Do you remember the first one? Way back early with Moses, where were they exiled and enslaved first? Egypt, right, well done. This is the second, later on. 586, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in and they wipe out Judah and Jerusalem, wipe out the temple. And they take a large number of Israelites back to Babylon with them. Some remain, but many, or if not most, go with them. So think about what that must be like. It was hundreds of years between Egypt and this Babylonian exile. If you remember, their theology was so tied to the temple or the presence of God. If you remember in the wilderness, it was the tabernacle, this kind of mobile God tent structure for which they knew God was present, that maybe that the Ark of the Covenant was there, but there was always a focus of God's presence that they could go to and use as a basis for their community, their community of worship. Now the temple is destroyed. What do they do? What do they think? And now they've been carried to another place and made to live away from what they've always known. Is God with them? They're going to have to find new ways to be connected to God and one another, to maintain being people of faith, unless they think God has abandoned them in which case they may give up altogether. It is a hard, hard place to be. Think about those times in your life where you felt separated, where you have endured difficulty, where you might have felt like an exile of some sort. And into that, Jeremiah comes and is responding to false prophets who are telling the Israelites, don't worry, don't settle in here in Babylon. God's going to bring you home shortly. You relax. It's not going to take too long. God's going to bring us all home. God through Jeremiah says, no, those are false prophets. Listen to my true word and gives them even a date and says, 70 years, you need to stay here and then I will bring you home. Not unlike that generation of 40 years in the wilderness, that generation had to die out and the next one to be ready and prepared 
to enter the promised land in a similar fashion here because God's people disobeyed God. They have to pay the the price for their penalty. So they are in exile for 70 years and then God will bring them home. Again, for a generation. What keeps us or who from having to pay the penalty as, as those who turn away from God as the Israelites did? What's the difference with us? Always the right answer in church? Jesus. Right. Because God sent Christ. There is judgment. There is separation from God. But there is also grace and mercy that abounds through the resurrected Christ. That's what is different from us now than it was for them at that time. And think about this. Jeremiah is saying, 70 years and then God will bring you back. So he says directly, plant your vineyards and harvest the fruit. Take for yourselves husbands and wives and bear children. And pray for and promote the welfare of this city because in doing so, you promote your own welfare. Hmm. Let's think about that for a second. So here's Babylon. They've destroyed their sacred place of worship, the temple. Many people would have died in this conquest, in the battle. Many people would have lost family members. And they are physically moved, if not enslaved, to Babylon against their will, now for what God has said, 70 years. And in this crisis, in this hostility, God says, pray for their welfare, because in it you will receive welfare. Are you kidding? I have to contribute in positive ways to this city that enslaved me, that wiped out my God and where my God lives, my covenant community. Generations are now disrupted and we have to be positive in this city? Yes, God says. Plant your vineyards. All of that is to say, put down roots. You're going to be here for a while, 70 years, and you are to do something while you are here. And it is to benefit the city. Hard, difficult, and yet God says, you're going to pay your price for the way that you've turned away from your sin and self-centeredness, but I will be with you. For surely you know the plans I have for you, says God, plans for your welfare and not for your harm. So I can give you a future of hope with hope, God says. When you look for me and you seek me with all your heart and you pray, pray to me with all of your heart, I will hear you, I will be there, I will let you find me. Amazing words from a God who does not abandon us, did not abandon them. 
When you seek me, I will hear, I will listen, you will find me. How do we know God has a plan for us? Well, this is one of those passages. Surely you know the plan I have for you as individuals, for us as a church family, for all of us as God's people. But a plan to celebrate. God never says, I'm taking away the difficulty. God says, I'm not going to soften Nebuchadnezzar's heart so he'll take it easy on you, or it'll be easier in exile. Never says that. They're going to have to deal with, in essence, being POWs in a foreign land. But God says, I'm with you. And your future is bright, but you have to endure what you have to endure. Difficult and yet hopeful. The best of times and the worst of times. Our lives are so often like that. For as much as there always seems to be to celebrate, there is always challenge, difficulty, and tragedy. Whether that's in our personal life, family, friends, world, community, it is always the best of times and the worst of times. To which God says, stay where you are and have a positive effect on the city in which you live. Some of you may be in Columbus by choice. Some of you may have grown up in Columbus, and this is simply home. Some of you might be in Columbus because you've come for jobs. Some of you might be serving in the military. Thank you, Ben, and all of you. You may not even like Columbus, but this is where you find yourself. Or you may love it as we do. None of that really matters, God says. This is where you are now. This is the church that you serve. This is the city in which you are called to serve. Plant your vineyards and harvest the fruit. Meaning, make things better with what you've been given. I had the privilege this past week of being a part of a two-day conference Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesday that uh, the mayor's office put on. So city government, along with other community leaders, business, education, healthcare, representing different faith traditions called the good and the bad and the ugly, all focused on Columbus. And so throughout those two days, packed from sunrise to after sunset each day, we heard presentations about different things. We celebrated the many great offerings that Columbus has, and there are. And it was so exciting to hear how Columbus is growing and the things that are happening on different levels. From uh, W.C. Bradley, who came to talk to us about their development downtown and what they're expecting to happen in that development, to housing for those who are in awful environments and setting to education, to reach out. A new film studio from W.C. Bradley also that is in effect and working to bring more business here to Columbus. So, so many exciting things are in the works. I'm excited to watch it. That was the good. Then the bad was kind of that 
middle level of things, where are we not doing well as a, as a city? And then finally, the ugly. We did not watch Clint Eastwood's movie first, but we could have. And there was plenty of ugly to go around as well. And in that, we saw the challenges of Columbus. And both days, we took bus tours of areas that I hadn't yet been to, as I suspect many of us hadn't been to, whether we've grown up here or not. Second day, we even had a police escort go with us. South side of town, other places where people are living in abject poverty. Awful, terrible situations. Children in awful, terrible situations that we just forget about because we don't necessarily see that every day. But some of the positive in that is that steps are being taken. Plans have been and are and will be made to help transform those communities, but it's going to take all of us to help. This is our city, and we are called by God to make a positive influence on our neighbors and brothers and sisters who live in it. We cannot say, preacher, they just made bad decisions, and so they're on their own to suffer the consequences of their actions. If God were to say that, none of us, none of us would warrant his, God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. God is telling the Israelites, yes, you're in a bad and a difficult place, but have a positive impact. This is where I'm placing you. Use what I have given you. This is really about stewardship. Stewardship in the big S sense. The big broad definition is simply using what God has given you. Stewardship is not just about the pledge. It's not just about your finances. It's a bigger issue. First and foremost, stewardship is your ability to show God that you worship God more than all of those other things. Jesus didn't just haphazardly speak about money more than anything else. He knew it was one of our greatest challenges. And when we do pledge, when we do give, it's a way that we connect with Christ first and directly to say, I will give sacrificially, great God, for what you have given me and us. And yes, it is about pledging at the church level, but only secondarily. Again, it is your relationship with Christ that this is one measure and connecting point to, which is your tithes and offerings. How do we make sure we're not worshiping idols? How do we make sure all of our time, money, effort, all that we are is not spent on other things except God? One of those direct ways is with our tithing and pledging. Here he comes, Martha. Look out. Preacher's on the warpath. Stewardship season. It's not really about me. Yes, of course, we have to pay the lights. We have to pay for the pencils and 
the activities and staff and, and all of that. But it's secondary. The church benefits from your relationship with Christ and with one another. And it's the ability for you to live in gratitude for what God has given you. God is saying to the people, even in exile, I've given you all so much gifts, I want you to use them even with these people who have harmed you and have altered your life in negative ways. I want you to pray for them. I want you to help that city to be prosperous because in doing so, you will be prosperous. Not always easy, easier said than done. But big stewardship is simply about giving back what we have been given. And the truth is, we are all exiles, all of us. When we were created and born and brought into this world, we became exiles from God's permanent kingdom. And God will bring us home the same way that God did those Babylonian exiles, hopefully more than 70 years. But when it's time to come home, then we will be home again with God in God's kingdom. We have those moments of connection where we are with God and we get glimpses of the kingdom on this earth, but largely we are exiles as well. Called to use what God has given us to make where we are a better place. And in this case, directly, it's the city in which we live and love. And even if we don't love it, we're called to make it better. Secondly, yes, for the church. The word pledge almost is, is too small and inappropriate to say what our connection to God is and what we do here at the church. Are we just a pretty hollow shell? Long as we stand tall to the community, they'll know that we are good and well and ministry is happening. Or is there ministry happening here? Why would you give to this church? What difference does it make? What's it worth that you have dedicated, trained, and experienced staff that is open to you 24-7 and will be with you no matter what? What is that worth? What is it worth to have a place that will celebrate new life being brought into the world, that will baptize your children and grandchildren and friends and neighbors? What is that worth? What is it worth to watch children grow in faith, learn Bible stories, and know that they are special and that God loves them as they make friends and grow together? What is that worth? What is it worth our Presbyterian day school that is filled with families that are being raised and educated as partners of this church? What, what is that worth? What is it worth that our youth are in a place where they can ask questions, where they are seeking their way forward, they want to come and play, and they do? What is that worth? 
our young adults. We will marry you here in this sacred space. As you grow, we will seek to be a family for you, to have our older adults and our children converse and be intergenerational to support and love one another as well as our youth, to teach and learn from one another what is that worth. Our adults and older adults, whenever you experience something challenging and you let us know, we will be there. Any procedure, any surgery, any treatment, what is that worth? To continue to grow closer to Christ through a variety of educational and worship opportunities, Cynthia's fried chicken. What is that worth? We will walk with you to the end of this life, and we will celebrate your life when you move on. I don't even have to make stuff up about you because y'all are all fantastic and wonderful servants of Christ. But we will love you and love your families with all that we can and are. What is that worth? Right now, people in Columbus, Georgia, the United States, and around the world are being fed if they are hungry, are being clothed if they are naked, are being housed if they are homeless, are being treated if they are sick, are being visited and taught if they are in prison, and on and on and on. We forget all of the ways that the world is changing while we sit all through the church, all through what you are able to sacrifice to Christ and give. And of course, the more that we are able to give, the more we can grow this church. We have come so far from where we were a few years ago, but God is only getting started with us again. Where will we go? It is the worst of times. It is the best of times on a daily basis. And we are being called like the Israelites in exile to share what we have so that this ministry can thrive and grow and we can celebrate the stewardship of what God has given us. So let us with courage and faith and complete love and gratitude give back to God. Hallelujah. Amen.